thank you for checking out Faith City's podcast. We believe you'll be blessed by the Word of God today. Well, let's go ahead and continue today. Just a quick recap. We started a new series a few weeks ago called The Way of Love. And what we're looking at is what does it look like to actually walk life out the way of love? Now, you see here we have a, a couple different um, diagrams or, or, if you will, some kind of uh, like, you know, studio does. Downstairs, not even studio anymore. City kids. Like city kids do. They, they have some type of prop to show you something. Well, what we see here is we see the way of love and how it works out. We see that love leads into relationships, which leads into service and worship. In this section of love, the relationship, service, and worship is really our focus. This is our part. This is what we do. And then through that, this is interesting, it comes up to God's part. See, God is the one that reaches out through us. God is the one who causes us to grow in life. And then the DMD, we found out a few weeks ago, it doesn't mean dumb and dumber. It means disciples making disciples. An easy way to look at it is followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. Whereas we have this other side, which is built on self. And it's interesting because when you first see that, you're like, well, isn't the opposite of love hate? Well, really the opposite of love is self. And how many though we can live through self, even with good intentions? But instead of building relationships, we're really building networks that maybe help us in our life. How can that relationship help catapult me to that next level, take me to where I need to go? And then service becomes a thing of image, how we look. And then worship, man, God forbid it becomes works. Like, I've got to do these things in order for God to love me more, to accept me more, to bless me more. How many know that we have all things in Christ? As new creations, as believers, that's where we live. But then it goes into reputation and the success, and it ends up at status. So instead of love that reciprocates, it continually it takes people on a journey with you, and it's just making new disciples, new followers of Jesus who are loving each other and loving the world. We end up with self, and here we are at the top all by ourselves, all alone, but looking at what we did. Look what I have accomplished. And you know, it can be a lonely place. You know, that status can only last for so long as fulfillment. True fulfillment is living a life out of love, a life out of who God really is. So let's look today at Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, this is a pretty familiar scripture for many of us who maybe been in church for any amount of time. And I, and I love what it says here. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? This is really where we want to start in today's journey. How, how do we have relationships with all manner of people? Think about this for a minute. God instructs us to. It's an important key part of life, and I believe it's a key part of the gospel. Yet many live a life that's withdrawn from people. If you've ever dealt with rejection or hurt in your life, it becomes easy. It's kind of like human nature to, to take, your, take yourself away from relationships and to try to protect yourself from maybe being hurt again. But see, on the other side of it, we discussed it shortly, out of self what happens is the other side of it, we say, wow, this relationship is really good for me. How can I network and take advantage of this for myself? But you know, both ways are improper. So I want, to, I want to kind of discuss today what it means to really walk together if you're agreed and then kind of segue into this idea of relationships through love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have. 
It's amazing that we can come together. The freedom that we have here in this great nation to come together to worship you freely and to look into your word. I pray today that your word would change our thinking. It would change the way that we view you and the way that we view ourselves to the point where we go, wow, I see it differently. And now I see how I can change things because maybe I had an improper perspective of relationships in my life. We thank you again for this time together, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Man, God is so good, isn't he? He's so good. Hey, I got a question for you. How many here like shopping? I'm going to like to shop. All the ladies' hands went up so fast it almost hurt. I heard like a through the air. The guys are like, dude, why are you even asking that question? My wife wants to take me shopping all the time, right? You know, shopping is very important to my wife, Kristen. I mean, like, it's, it's something she loves to do. In fact, she likes to not just shop. She likes to go and look and look and look and look. You going to buy something? I don't know. Why are we here? <laughs> right? Have you ever been in that place? Because I, on the other hand, would rather have shards of glass rubbed across my eyes than go shopping. I'm just joking. That's, that's not true. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? But see, shopping for me is different. It's like, okay, I have an idea. Okay, I want that thing. So I go in like a hunter and I grab that thing and I kill that thing or at least pay for it. And then I walk out and then I use that thing for what I need that thing for. And I'm done, right? But for my wife, it's completely different. And we're completely different individuals. Now, I love the fact that, like, for instance, grocery shopping. It's interesting. You'd think for someone who really loves to eat, like, I love food, but I hate grocery shopping. Let me give you a little tip, too. If you're really hungry, that's not the best time to go grocery shopping. Because you're looking at your car like, who put that in there? You did. Oh, okay. Right? So, you know, she'll, she'll go down each and every aisle and she'll look at labels and she'll, she, she does her M perks and, and how many have M perks? Yeah, her M perks. And now I love her M perks when I go and to pay and it says, would you like to take $12 off your basket? I'm like, yes, I would. And then it comes up, would you like to take $9 off the basket today? I'm like, uh, yes, I would. I'm taking all the money I can off it. So I'm glad that she does coupons and M perks and saves money. But the shopping process sometimes is so mundane. When we first got together, this really created some tension in our marriage because she'd want to go shopping, and I'd say, yeah, sure, let's go shopping. And, you know, for me, we're at the mall, and we're hanging out in what seemed like four and a half hours, and it was like 15 minutes. And I kind of do that first, <sighs> wouldn't say anything, right? And she looked at me like, what? I'm like, what? I just, what? You sighed. Oh, I did? <sighs> you know, about 30 minutes into it, it'd be like, <sighs> um, are, are we almost done? And she looked at me like, are, are you kidding me? Like, this isn't even fun right now. You're not making this fun. And I'm like, well, it's not fun. Wrong thing to say. <laughs> and so we'd have this tension about going shopping. You know, as, as I grew uh, in my maturity level, in relationship and love, I realized something, that love does things that, that aren't always something you want to do. So what I learned to do was realize that I'm with my wife. I mean, I'm with the most beautiful woman on the planet. She picked me. I know I got lucky. She picked me. She's mine. She wants to spend the rest of her life with me. Can I go shopping for like two to four hours? At least? 
And then, you know, let's, let's not even mention the love languages. I mean, part of her love language is quality time. She likes quality time. And so that's important to her. So I found myself pushing through, stopping the size. I do pretty good now, don't I? Just saying, hey, yeah, this is great. I'm with you. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the positive here. I'm with you. I'm just staring at you the whole time because I'm with you, right? But we learn how to work through this process. See, that's what love does. It works through that process. I'm looking at this verse. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, many interpret this verse to mean two groups cannot work together unless they agree in doctrine. But think about this. If we consider this a relational verse, something to do with relationship, then it really doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work out. It's like, well, wait a second. Maybe that's not about doctrine. Think about this. It's like if every single friend that's a friend of yours is a friend because you agree on every single thing, do you think you'd have any friends? But think about it. If every single person who's a friend, they're only friends because you agree on every single thing in life, guess what? You wouldn't have any friends. It's the same thing in marriage. I mean, if, in order to stay married, I mean, if marriage was only based on we agree on every single thing, guess what? It's not going to work out because you're not going to agree on every single thing. I have friends here today. We don't agree on every single thing. In fact, we don't agree on everything doctrinally. Like we have a little different way of seeing things. But see, we do believe in one thing, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're like, this is the only way, right? Yeah, we agree on that. But as we look at this scripture, if that's true, then, then how is it that we can walk together, that we can stick together, whether we agree on every single issue? It's because our walking together is not based on total agreement, but on the decision to walk together in love. Now, this is interesting to think about. The NIV uh, translates this verse like this, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. In other words, the agreement is about the decision to walk together. It's not about agreement on every issue. Now, as I start thinking this through, I'm thinking, well, so whether it's other believers, whether it's other churches, other denominations, whether it's saint or, God forbid, sinners, can we make a choice to walk with people? To walk together? Now, I discussed this a few weeks ago about relationships. We talked about different levels of friendship and relationship, right? And we know that number one is acquaintances. It's, it's, it's people that we can be friendly to and be a friend to no matter what. Now, not every single person is going to be a level four. I mean, these are confidence. These are advisors. These are people you trust their judgment. You can share your hopes and your dreams and even your struggles with. How many know that you shouldn't do that with every single person you come into contact with? But, but it's interesting to me that, that sometimes we, we look at the world or people in the world and we, we lock ourselves away like we want nothing to do with them as if we can't walk together. Why? Well, they don't even believe in God. Okay. Well, I believe in God and they don't. Okay. How are they ever going to see the God that you believe in unless you're a friend of them? It doesn't mean you have to do what they do or go where they go. But my gosh, can we be friendly with people? Can we show the love of God to people? Can we actually agree to walk with somebody? I'm not talking about agreeing with their theology or their doctrine. Can we agree to walk with somebody? This is really our starting point today as we look at this idea of relationships. I think we need to be open to friendship with anybody. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it's probably one of my favorite scriptures, at least a top five. It says, we love because he first loved us. Now, why is the scripture so beautiful? It's beautiful because it's saying that the love is not up to us. God initiates and we respond. We love because he first loved us. And then the apostle John goes on to say in verses 20 through 21, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, this is key, he is a liar. Whoa, how could John speak such strong language? Because he's saying, if you really are living a life of love, how many remember we discussed that this life of love, it doesn't start with us, right? It starts with God. It's him loving us, us understanding his love for us as a father and what that means. And through that, these relationships, service, and worship come, right? It should be a natural thing that happens. That's what he's saying, though. He says, if you say, I love God, and you go right and hating your brother or sister, thinking nothing of it. Let me say this. Has there been times where you felt like, I'm not happy with that person right now. I don't really like that person right now. How many have been there, right? This is saying you're thinking nothing of it. Like, I don't care. I'm going to hate that person. I'm going to detest that person. This word hate in the Greek means to pursue with hatred or to detest. We're not talking about you had a bad day and someone rubbed you wrong. We're talking about a lifestyle, a way of living. It says, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. I've seen a lot of people go, oh, I love the Lord. I love him. But man, I never see him love on people. It's like, what is going on? Something does not line up here. And then he says, you've got to love both. Thank you, Apostle John. We've got to love both. But then it brings up Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we see these verses and we're, we get afraid. We're like, that's the evil world and they need to stay away. What is it talking about? Because sometimes we make that into people. I got to stay away from these people. And let me, let me give you a little wisdom here today. If you struggle with something in your life, let's say you struggle with, with alcohol. Well, well, you probably don't want to go hang out with a certain person at the bar. It's probably not going to go well for you, right? So we have to use wisdom. We have to be spirit-led. Does that make sense? But at the same time, are we supposed to cut ourselves off from anybody who believes different than us? I mean, you might as well put a coexist sticker on your, on your car, which, by the way, coexist means will exist as long as you agree with me and what I believe. So it's really not coexisting at all. That's a lie itself. Believe and agree with me or else. But are we going to put those bumper stickers on our car? Are we actually going to truly walk out love and accept people right where they are. I think a better way to understand this, Eugene Peterson puts it beautifully in the message. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now, is that a better way to say it? So well-adjusted to culture that you, you fit right in, but you don't even think about maybe what this could do to you or, or the negativity this could cause in your life. We're not saying just go do anything and everything. That doesn't make sense because the Holy Spirit's never going to tell you just go do any and everything because we just love the world. No, 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 no. There's a thought process. And we're going to get into this a little bit because what happens as a believer, Christ comes in, he loves us, and then he, he separates us. He now becomes the mediator to our relationships. This is really cool because he gives us perspective. 
When you first become a believer, he comes in and, and he, he cuts you or separates you away from maybe certain relationships or worldly things in order to teach you and give you some perspective. But I think it's really interesting how Christ divides, yet he unites. There's this division that takes place. There's this immediacy that changes. We become uh, directly in, in contact and relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. And it changes our perspective. And then he says, okay, now see the world. You're like, yeah, should I, should I be afraid? No, 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 not at all. I wasn't afraid. That's right, Jesus. You hung out with the world. You, you hung out with the, the down and outers, with, with the people who had issues in their life. Wow, you accepted them where they were. Wow, Jesus, so, so I can do the same thing? Absolutely, you should. I'm living in and through you now. So then what we do is we, we walk over and we, we get in the relationship with people. People are acquaintances. They become friends. You share the love of God with them. And they see a difference in your life because of the Jesus that's living through you. And then they go, wow, there's something different about you. And for some people, it's like, there's something different about you because you're not pointing your bony little finger at me and judging me and telling me all the stuff I need to clean up before you'll accept me. Because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus accepted people right where they were. He did. He hung out with the sinners and the religious people got so irritated. How could you do that? Why would you hang out with those people? And he says, how else are they going to receive help? Now again, use wisdom. If you have an issue in your life and you think that's going to pull you back into that, maybe someone else is meant to have that relationship. Do you follow what I'm saying? But the bottom line is this. We can't shut the world out. How else will they hear about the wonderful love of God, about his amazing grace. We have to be in contact with people. So how do we love the world without conforming? I think this is an important question as we set up really where we're going with this. How do we love the world without conforming? Well, look again at Romans 12, 2 in the message. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And then he gives the answer of how. Instead, fix your attention on God. See, when your attention is on God, when your attention is on his love and who he is to you and who he is to the world, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. See, it starts to make sense. You're like, wow, this is where I get my perspective. See, he's our mediator with relationships, so we get proper perspective, and then we walk back into the world, and we know how to have proper friendships with people. Not pointing our fingers not shutting the door in their face, but saying, did you know that God loves you? In fact, I love you too. See, what happens when we live a life that's out of love, these relationships will happen naturally. You're not trying to make it happen. Okay, I got to love people, but I don't got to like them. See, that's not even the attitude that's right, is it? It's a natural process that, that flows out of a love relationship with God. And everything that we look at today, we have to remember 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. We have got to spend time. We've got to navigate his love. We've got to dig deeper into it. We have to be rooted and grounded in his love. And when we do that, man, everything changes. And now it's this natural outflow of building relationships with people. Again, I think it's interesting to think that Christ divides and yet unites us to people. But again, our immediacy changes. Now our immediacy is with Christ. 
It's not with the world. So now we get proper perspective, and then we can turn and love the world correctly for the right reasons. Amen? So today, I just want to quickly look at three markers of loving relationships. Three markers of loving relationships. Really, these are natural responses to a life lived out of love. I mean, again, I talk about this a lot, but the things that we do, they should come out of us naturally and organically. If you ever feel like you're really trying hard to make it happen, and I'm not saying that we don't do things. I mean, all these works that we do, these practices of relationship, service, and worship, I mean, those are practices. Those are works that we're built to do. God's put those works in us beforehand. Why? So that we should walk in them. But if you ever feel like you're really trying, guess what? You might be kind of falling into this self because it's self-effort. It self-works. You're trying to make it yourself instead of it being a natural outflow of God's love for you and the loving relationship you have with him. So number one of the three markers of loving relationships, God moves us out of isolation and into community. He moves us out of isolation and into community. I love Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 4. It says, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. Aren't those beautiful words? See, God embraces us. Isn't that amazing? It says he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. You know, let me say something. I mean, the epitome of being isolated is death. Right? I mean, if you're dead, you're laying in a casket. The epitome of isolation is right there in that casket. And so what God did is he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. See, can you see the position he put us in? He's like, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've separated you, and now I'm going to unify you with the world in proper perspective. But by all means, I'm not saying to say, world, we shut you out. You know, that's the problem sometimes with church coming to this building. These four walls, we get so inward focused, and we need to have some inward focus. I mean, we celebrate, we love each other, uh, we help each other in our needs, amen? But what about the outside in the world? We can't be afraid and scared of the world. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we should be able to go into the world with proper perspective, with a loving relationship with our Father, and then understand, wow, we're supposed to love people. How else are they going to hear? But when I think about this idea of isolation or God moving us out of isolation in the community, I think of the prodigal son. How many have heard that story? It's a beautiful story of God's love, isn't it? You know, just a few weeks, uh, Peter Heiss shared on this, and he showed how, how Jesus actually closed that gap to bring man, to bring the prodigal son back to the father, right? But, you know, if you're not familiar with the story, basically this son, he has an inheritance coming when his father dies, and he goes to his dad, who's not yet dead, and he says, hey, dad, I want my portion. I want my inheritance. Now, in Jewish culture, that's as good as saying, hey, dad, drop dead. Because inheritance wasn't given or divvied up until the person who was giving it was dead. But you know, the father could have refused him. He said, no, okay, that's fine. I love you, son. Here's your inheritance. That just blows my mind right there. He gave him the inheritance anyway. What does the son do? He says he went off into a far-off land and basically squandered his money. Wild parties, wild women, just really living it up, living it up, spending money like water. 
his pocketbook was open and he had lots of people around him and he was enjoying life and then guess what happened? The money ran out. Guess what else ran out? The friends. He found himself completely isolated. He found himself as a Jewish boy. How many know Jews don't eat pork? Uh huh. He found himself like feeding the swine. That's what his job was. Feeding pigs. The worst place he could be. Complete isolation. So as he's sitting there, even looking at the pods or the food that the pigs were eating, thinking if I could just fill my belly with those, why he was starving. He had all this money, all this inheritance. He totally blew it. And now here he is, completely starving. And he's totally isolated. But you know, it's kind of false, to be honest with you, to think that he was isolated at that point. You know, he was isolated way back here with all the money. I'll explain why. He had all these people surrounding him. You know what? They didn't know him. They knew he had an open pocketbook. Big difference. They're thinking, man, this guy's party time. But you know, isolation, when we think about this, it's not about being alone. It's about not being known. Nobody knew who he was. They knew that he had the goods. He had the money. His place was party central, so they came to enjoy. But as soon as the party stopped, guess what? They stopped coming. He wasn't known. See, that's really, if we think about God's relationship with us, he knows us. Before we were born, I mean, even, even before we were conceived, he knew we were coming down the pike. He knew we were on our way to enter this world. He knew us then and desired relationship with us. What happens to the prodigal son? He finally says, that's it, I'm going home. At least my dad's servants eat better than me. So he goes home, and it says that the father saw him a long way off. Say, long way off. You know, he didn't make the son uh, trek all the way up right to the steps, get on his knees and say, I'm so sorry. In fact, he saw him a long way off. This is a picture of God. And he ran to the son. If you understand Jewish culture, this isn't normal. A rich man, a ruler, they don't run. Their servants run for him. He didn't even send the servant. He lifted his robe. They wore robes back then which that wasn't a very good sign either. Why? His love for his son. He ran to his son. He met his son. It says he fell on his neck and he kissed him. In the Greek, that means to kiss over and over and over. I love you. I love you. I'm so glad you're back. I love you. I love you. I'm so glad you're back home. And then it says he put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. In other words, he says, you are family. You're not a servant. You're my son. That's what God does for us. God knew us. And then he came to us. I said it before, I found Jesus or I came to the Lord. But the truth is, he came to us. He found us. And then what does he do? He draws us into relationship. The Bible says that his kindness, his goodness draws us to repentance. It draws us to a place where we change our mind about who he is. I think even the prodigal son had a rude awakening that, that, that day and said, wow, my father's not who I thought he was. He loves me more than I could have ever imagined or fathomed. But that's how God is with us. It wasn't our goodness or our deservedness that caused this. See, that's what God does. That's what God, who is love, does. He runs to us. He knows us. He draws us into relationship. Loving relationships naturally draw people out of isolation 
and into community. That's what he did with us. As a church, our desire through Christ is to draw others into community, real relationships. That's what we desire here. And we got to be careful because it's got to be genuine, and it only can be genuine when it's out of love. I mean, love is what, what, what causes our heart to hurt for people and care about people and desire relationship with people. Otherwise, it's like, wow, look at the network setting up. Look how big our church is getting. Look how much we're doing. I'm not against big churches at all. I mean, I'd like to grow too. Why? So we can just keep sharing more love with people. That's why we moved into town. And we were outside of town since 1994, and we decided let's move into town where the people are. Why? Because there's people to be loved. There's people we can show his goodness and his grace and his love to. But real relationships, not networking, comes out of love. Real love, and God is love. Amen? And that's our desire. So number one, God moves us out of isolation and into community. Number two, God moves us away from the shallows to the depth or the depths. In other words, he takes us from a place of passivity to a place of honesty. Now, as you see this going, it gets a little harder. Each marker is a little harder because really a lot of us, we're looking for love. We're looking for hope. We're looking for a place to belong. So, you know, the idea of God drawing us out, it's the easier of the three, right? Because I just want to be loved, and and I was born to be loved, and I was born to be in relationship with God because there's a connection there because he's my creator, and maybe I've missed that, so that's easier. But this idea of God moving us from passivity to honesty or moving us away from the shallows to depth, it gets a little bit harder. You know, some of us, we grew up in church. Or, or maybe you had some type of dealing with the church and you never found it a quote-unquote safe place to be. I mean, the church should be a safe place to be. And I know we're the church, but I'm talking about this building. When people come to these buildings and they see the cross on it, they see the word church, they're like, that must be a place where I can be safe. But unfortunately, the church in recent years hasn't been such a safe place for people to be. And so one of two things happen. Some people go, the heck with that. I want nothing to do with that. I mean, I mean, I got enough flack in my family or, or my job or the world that, that I don't need to go somewhere else to get more flack. Or you get other people who they truly desire this love relationship with God. So they come in and they say, you know what? I'll fake it till I make it. You've heard that before, right? I'll fake it till I make it. You know, that's not scriptural. There's, there's no, there's no verse There's no reference that says, thus saith the Lord, fake it till ye make it. In fact, you will never make it until you learn to stop faking it. And that's what number two is about. It's it's, it's being in the shallow end of the pool, if you will. It's easy, right? Now, when I was a kid, I was afraid of water. And my my parents put me in the swimming lessons so I wouldn't be afraid of water because I was deathly afraid of water. I remember one time um, I was getting a little better with it, but then I had to go to the deep end. See, the shallow end was, wasn't so bad. I mean, I got my feet wet, you know, the first lesson, and then I slowly went in, and I could actually stand in the shallow end. I remember when you were little and you went, look, I'm not, on even, not even on tiptoes. I'm, I'm flat-footed, and my head's above water, so I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable in the water. The water's not too high. I can actually have, stand on flat feet and have my head above the water, so it, it's a comfortable place to be. 
But I remember the day they told us, today we're going to the deep end. I'm like, what? It's okay. What are we going to do down there? You're going to jump off the diving board. What? I can't even swim, people. Oh, it's okay. We're going to hold this. We're going to dangle this pole out there. And you can, I'm serious. We're going to dangle this pole and trust me, just grab the pole when you jump in. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And I must have been up there for 20 minutes, <sighs> freaking out. But I finally took that plunge. I grabbed that pole, and, and I was freaking out, man. I was freaking out. I mean, my eyes must have been this big, right? Surprised they didn't get just, like, water in them. But they're dragging me to the, to the side and with the pole, and I'm like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And guess what? I ran, and I did it again. And I ran, and I did it again. Imagine God brings you from isolation into community, into relationship, but then he says, here's the next step. Can you, can you come out of the shallow end of passivity? Can you move over here into the deep end? What, God, the deep end? Yeah, yeah, where you get to be honest. That's a tough thing to do, isn't it? And we talk about relationships. You can't be honest with every single person you come in contact with. But I believe that God brings people along to aid and to help you, who you can trust. You can share your hopes and your dreams and God forbid your struggles with those people. And they're not looking down their nose at you like, wow, why haven't you arrived? Where's your faith? Come on, brother. I did a Gary Malone, brother. I must be the religious voice or something. That's what the Pharisees sounded like. See, sometimes I think it's, it's tough, but think about this. Every step we take, God's initiating, and we start with him first. So could we at least move from passivity to honesty with him? And you're like, well, God already knows me. He knows everything about me. But here's the thing. There's something about talking to your father about not just like, hey, it's been a good day and I just pray everyone's good and the world's happy and, oh, wait a minute, I got a bunch of crap in my life. And you tell him, I'm struggling. I have issues. And it's beautiful because as a father, he wraps his arm around you and says, I know you do, son. I know you do, daughter, but thanks for sharing that because now it's out in the open. We can work on this. The Bible says that we confess our faults to one another so healing may come. Maybe for you it's like, I can't confess my faults to anybody, any person right now. Well, how about you start with Jesus? How about you start with your Father God? Because he's there not judging you. In fact, he sees you as righteous, holy, pleasing, acceptable as a believer, as a new creation. That's who you are at the core. But he knows we have issues. But when you talk things out with your dad, it makes such a difference. It's like you take that weight off. And the Lord says to cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. So we cast those things off. And we find a father who's loving and caring and says, my grace is sufficient. Come to my throne of grace in the time of need. My grace is sufficient. It's an amazing way to live. So we don't have to fake it until we make it. It's time to move from the shallow end into the deep end. Number three, God moves us away from safety and toward generosity. God moves us away from safety and toward generosity. Now, I told you, it gets a little harder with each step, with each marker, right? 
So maybe we've been moved out of isolation into community and the relationship with him. And then the second thing that happens is we move from the shallow end of passivity and we move to the deep end of honesty. And maybe now we're developing relationships with people who we really trust. Because again, don't tell your stuff to every single person. (laughs) Some people don't know how to keep their mouth shut. You got to trust the person, right? You trust them and you know that they're going to give you godly counsel, but you know that their heart is for you, that they have your best interest in mind. This is what community should look like. But then number three, it's a little bit harder, but man, if we could get to this point, this is a big deal. Let me say this. God's not in a hurry either. Everybody takes different steps at different times. He still loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's on the journey. If you don't, if you don't arrive, because none of us will, before the day you die, you'll still spend eternity with him as long as you said yes to Jesus. That's the only thing. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But on this, on this earth, on this planet, he wants to help us get through these markers. So number three, God moves us away from safety and toward generosity. You know, maybe you don't feel safe. Maybe you don't feel like there's safety in your life. Maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe you've faced rejection in your life. I mean, I've been there. I've faced rejection in my life. I've faced hurt. And you know, it can be really tough to get to this point where we move away from safety of protecting ourselves. Because you know what we do? We build up walls, don't we? We build up walls and say, no one is going to hurt me again. And we got a smile on our face and we're faking it till we make it. But we're like, I'm not letting anyone in these walls because I could get hurt again. And I don't want to have to go through that again. Now, again, side note, this is wisdom. If you are in or were in a relationship that's abusive, verbally, physically, run away. We are not to be anyone's doormat. What I'm not saying is be a doormat to somebody. Let them physically or emotionally or mentally abuse you. That's not right. So you need to get out of that relationship. That's one person I guess maybe you can't be a friend with, if I can say that. That's for your own good. And your Father God would agree with that one. They need help. They need healing. And it's going to be someone else who will come across their path. And maybe they'll accept or maybe they'll reject. But that's not your job. I'm just going to get abused for Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. You have a choice in that relationship. But when we build those walls, what we're doing is we're trying to grasp control or possession of a relationship because we feel if we can control it enough and keep them just just at bay, just enough, we won't get hurt. But see, it's false. It doesn't really work. It's control that's never really there because people are still going to hurt us. It happens. So what do we do? Can I be completely honest with you? As a pastor, this is one of the hardest things. I mean, I'm still working on this. This is one of the hardest things to do, is just completely open your heart up to people. You know, you can open your heart up to people, and, and, and they can say, wow, this is so great. Uh, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Thank you for ministering to me and helping me out. And then right, 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 the knife comes down in your back. You're like, whoa, I thought we were good, right? And there's this tendency to go, you know what, I'm closing off, man. I'm just going to preach some great little messages about God is love and God is good. And little kumbaya, because I don't want to open myself up. Because they hurt me. They rejected me. So as a pastor, that's, that's a hard thing. Because you come in contact with a lot of hurt people. And hurt people tend to hurt people at times, right? But here's the issue. 
is if we, if we don't open our heart, this could be maybe in your marriage, uh, in a relationship with a family member, you're like, I'm not gonna open my heart to them, but you know that generosity cannot flow through a closed heart. Generosity only flows through a heart that's open. And for me, I'm like, God, how can I do this? There were times where my wife and I, honestly, like, how do we do this? And this isn't the pity party for the pastors. I'm just saying, is this real? Can I just be real with you? I mean, you get in the situation, you're like, how do I do this? How do I continue in my marriage? It seems like they keep hurting me. And I'm not talking about physical abuse. I'm just talking about like we have different personalities and different love languages and we just don't get each other and it doesn't seem to click. What the heck's going on? Well, we'll just fake it till we make it. We'll act like we have the greatest marriage in the congregation because that's what people want to see. <laughs> but but I, I came to this conclusion and this is what helps me to keep my heart open because again, generosity cannot flow through a closed heart realizing this, that our real safety comes from Jesus. He's our rock. He's our strength. He's our peace. He's our comfort. He'll never reject me. Think about that. He'll never reject you. You always have a safe place to go in his love in your father's arms. This is the relationship. This is what helped me to realize I can do this because even when somebody hurts me or rejects me, I've got you to fall back on because you you don't ever leave me. You don't leave me in the ditch. You don't forsake me. You don't reject me. You're like, that, that sounds great, Pastor, but, but emotions are real. Absolutely. And the healer of those emotions is Jesus Christ. That's how I've been able to, and again, I mean, some people have it a lot worse. I know first world problems, right? Some people are just looking for a scrap to eat or a roof over their head. But this is the real deal. We all deal with emotional issues. And again, you can't, you can't share generosity with people unless your heart is open to people. I'll give you the best example I could ever give you about a person. The story of somebody who completely left the safe zone to share generosity. His name was Jesus Christ. I think, I think that heaven's a, probably a pretty safe place. And he says, I'm going to leave heaven. I'm going to step down onto this planet. I'm going to face rejection. I'm going to face betrayal. I'm going to face hurt. But I'm going to share generosity. because that's what love does. He's motivated by love. See, there's a lie of the enemy to let us think that we can control what people will do or can do to us by staying in the safe zone. We try to convince ourselves of what's really a false sense of security because it's not true. We'll be open. We'll be honest. We'll be open to be generous to people. What have we seen today? We've seen that walking together is not based on total agreement, but simply on the decision to walk together. It's a decision. I'm going to walk with that person. 
Yeah, but they got different beliefs or ideas. Okay, can you walk with them? Can you talk with them? Can you show love to that person? We also learn that God moves us as individuals out of isolation into community, into relationship with him. And in turn, what do we do? The same thing. That's why those relationships matter. That's why walking with others matter because we can help this process of the gospel. See, we don't regenerate a heart. We don't save anybody. But man, we are a window into what it looks like to have a life of community. And so we help people move from isolation into community. And then what does God do? He moves us away from the shallows or the shallow end to the depths or the deep end to go from passivity to honesty. It's a process. It takes time. But start out by being honest with him. It will change your life. And the last thing we looked at was God moves us away from safety toward generosity. We get to a point where we can open our hearts to individuals, to people, knowing full well they may reject us. They may hurt us. You know, the number one reason we usually don't want to tell someone about Jesus is, what if they reject it? The thing is, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. I know it doesn't make it any easier, but let me give you a clue. This idea, you know, I agree with soul winning and witnessing and all that, but but our goal, we're not high-pressure salesmen. I got to get the deal, man. I got to get their heart. I got to get them regenerated. I got to get them born again. No, no, you share the gospel with them, and then the Holy Spirit does his work. Outreach and growth, they come from God. Isn't that amazing? Will you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I was, I was reading this book called The Cure. Beautiful, wonderful book. But there was a quote, and it's really stuck with me. I've read this book a couple times. I need to read it a third. The quote was this. What if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed then that nothing ever has to be hidden. That's the gospel. Sometimes we think the gospel is, okay, I'm a fixer-upper and that's what it's all about. But what if it's more about, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to pretend anymore that I'm something that, 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 I, that I wasn't. And then we get to look into who God's really made us to be. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you desire for us all to be known by you because you already know us. And I thank you in turn that that allows us to draw others to know you and to be known by you. You truly care for us. You truly love us. It's it's not a facade. It's not fake. It's real. You desire relationship with humanity. For more information about our ministry here at Faith City, check out faithcity.tv.